Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight, we have with us a returning guest in Pete Holterman, a tennis media public relations veteran. Pete has worked for the ATP Tour and for ESPN. He is the current media director for the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati and is also the current media director for the U.S. Men's Clay Court Championships in Houston. He is the president and founder of Halter Media. Please welcome back to the pod, Pete Halterman. Pete, thanks again for, uh, for doing this. I didn't run you off the first time, I guess. David, thanks for having me back. I really appreciate the chance to chat with you again and uh, haven't seen you around at the tournaments because everything's been very different since we talked a year ago. So lots to catch up on. Absolutely. And, you know, when we first released our initial recording, it was in May of 2020 when things were just, there was so much unknown information going on and events were getting canceled instead of trying to keep them going at the time. And for the listeners, strongly urge you to listen to that conversation um, with Pete and myself, especially for those that want to get into um, media slash PR. Pete outlines how he got involved in his career and just it was very interesting, very, very informative. So again, it was released in May of 2020. Go check that podcast out. But for this focus um, with you, Pete, <laughs> we're, it's been crazy since we first talked. And I want to talk about in May, we didn't know what was going on. The U.S. Open was hanging by a thread. They didn't know Cincinnati was going to be in the bubble with, with the U.S. Open. Um, Talk about how that all developed, and, and thankfully, we did have a successful Cincinnati and U.S. Open. Yeah, and, and I think when we spoke last spring and, and this came out in May, I don't even think that I had registered the thought that maybe we'd move the Western and Southern Open to New York. I don't even know that that had even occurred to me at that point. Um, there were a lot of scenarios that, that were on the table, um, and obviously, you due diligence, you have to look at all of them. And I think a lot of credit to the USTA and to the team at the Western Southern Open for finding that solution and to pull those events off. And the WTA had gone out and played, I think, three events, a couple in Europe and then one in Lexington prior to the Western Southern Open, but it was the first event back for the, uh, for the men's tour. And I actually remember um, standing in the lobby of the hotel because it was there's a lot that had to happen. And so we made a point as many people as can, you know, there's a lot that has to be done to set the tournament up, but when there's a big wave of players coming, let's try to have some people there just to greet them, make sure they know where to go, what they have to do once they get in and register and everything. And uh, I remember commenting, I made a comment actually to Stacey Allister, the U S uh, open tournament director. And, and she's reminded me that I told her this a couple of times, it felt like being in Australia because there was this first day back at school atmosphere of everybody seeing each other. And it was so awkward because on top of that excitement to see each other, you weren't really sure. Well, I can't hug you. I can't shake your hand. Do I, do we, do we tap elbows? Do we fist? So it was just kind of this, this different vibe. But the biggest thing was that positive energy of we're back, we're back. We're doing this. This is great. We don't know what this is going to be like. We don't know what to expect you know, we, okay, we got to go to our room now and wait for a test result. What's that going to be like? And what, how, what's, you know, nobody knew what to expect, but there was that positive energy of we're back, we're back, we're doing this. And I think it actually worked out pretty well that it was a combined event as one of the first ones that really happened. You know, obviously again, those WTA events 
took place, but to bring so many players together in one place, I think it was great that it was everybody together and kind of showed that strength of tennis. And there had been so much tennis United through the summer and, and in the layoff. It was great that we were able to bring everybody back together and then play those events in New York and do it safely. And, you know, it, it kickstarted then what has happened since. And we've played a lot of tournaments and, you know, it's been hard and, and full credit to, um, I think everyone involved in, you know, the USTA and Western and Southern open teams for getting everything together in New York, but there's a lot beyond that. I know, you know, with ESPN, just broadcasting that U S open, um, and even the Western Southern open that broadcast, because it's, there's some pieces of the Western Southern open that are just operationally different than the U S open. And there were things that had to change then from, the end of the Western Southern Open to the start of the U.S. Open. And that was hard. Things like back walls and all that. Um, so it was a big operational lift. Every tournament since then as well, everybody's going through their own things. And, and the myriad of issues that come up that you have to try to figure out, and it's the local jurisdictions and every government has different rules and regulations. And um, on top of that, you've got the fact that those are changing all the time. All the time. Um, and, and I think the other thing is, and some of those, I mean, that's just like getting people into countries and everything. Like, it's just everything's harder right now. And, and I think the other piece of it is, um, while giving credit to those that have happened, a lot of credit to the tournaments that have had to make that really hard decision to not take place. You know, and it was last year, that summer period, the decision was kind of made for tournaments. Now that play is back, it's a really hard decision. It's a really hard thing. Um, obviously, some are doing it in you know, the Australian Open financial situation has been widely reported as the losses that they took from, from playing the tournament. But I think beyond that, the, the lingering effects of how hard that was on that staff. I mean, I just every time I heard something, I just felt bad for that staff. And I love like saw Craig Tiley has said, hey, when we get to April and we've kind of packed up everything from this tournament, and we get to that Easter holiday, all of you must disappear for 10 days. I don't want to see any of you. And, and I think that's really smart because it's just, it's really hard. And whether you're having a tournament, not having a tournament, whether you're in the office of the, the you know, the tour uh, and not even necessarily out of those events, there's just so much that's going on and going into this. So accolades to the tour staff and to the tournament staff and then to the players for navigating through this. Cause it's hard. And even just figuring out like, where do you play? It's no longer this easy thing of like, well, this is where I'd like to play. Well, can I even get into that country? And what do I need? Do I need a waiver? And, and you know, usually you're just worried about a visa. Well, now do I need some sort of waiver? And if I've been in this country, does that mean I have different entry requirements? Cause I played that tournament before. It's just everything. The agents who are having to figure all that out everybody's working really, 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 really hard behind the scenes to make all this happen. And, and so everybody deserves a kudos for that. I think all of us are collectively really hoping that some of the extra layers of challenges fall away sooner rather than later. And it's great to see crowds back now and, and those are growing and that certainly is a nice boost, but hopefully things are, are going to start to settle down in the near future, but it's still miles to go before we sleep, I think. Oh yeah. And, and I mean, uh, amen a hundred percent on hopefully some of these challenges are, you know, near the end instead of near uh, closer to the beginning, which I think we all are hopeful for. I want to go back to Cynthia in New York and, and I mean, obviously 
that arena is huge and the whole pre the premises is gigantic and yes the pros may have everyone wants fans everyone wants that energy there um that said the pros there was some preference to it and that they didn't have to waddle through crowds autographs all that stuff they were free to walk around how is it i mean you've been doing this a long time pete when you were there you're seeing unbelievable matches and i mean then you're talking quarters semis finals i mean the women's semis were both those matches were insane and there's no one in the crowd like how was that it got to be so bizarre it was and and to just see the way people at first everybody was kind of like well what do we do how do we how do we navigate this and then people started to figure out what was possible and um you know there are things that will never happen again there was uh, a couple of the writers knock on wood, a, knock on wood. yeah exactly <laughs> um there were there were i think 10 or 12 uh media who were on site writers who were on site and you know one of them every day i'd look out and there he was in the president's box <laughs> and i'm like great that's a great thing to do now while you can don't get too used to it though because i'm sure you're not going to be going back there anytime soon um hopefully uh so it was it was a very different atmosphere and i think the opportunity to uh move around was valuable and you know, we know so much more about the virus now than we did then. But I think one of the concerns was a lot of people congregating inside and that venue with, you know, spectators not being on site lent itself to then just so much open space and so much opportunity for players to, to go and um, relax or get fresh air and be outside. And, and it was pretty comfortable. And I think that was important because, there was a little bit of trepidation, you know, I mean, players weren't sure what to expect. Staff wasn't sure what to expect. Nobody really knew. Nobody really knew how it was going to feel and what it was going to be like. And so the opportunity to have that space and especially to be outside, I think gave everybody a little bit of comfort and put everybody at ease that, okay, this doesn't feel dangerous. You know, this feels pretty comfortable. Um, inside the stadium. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, a unique experience. Um, you're right. Those two women's semifinals were two of the best matches I think I've ever seen. And I will say that I was very lucky because I saw more tennis at the U S open than I've ever seen. Uh, normally I need to be waiting in a corridor somewhere or, you know, hopefully finding a monitor somewhere where I might see a little bit of the action. Um, I was able to sit in Ash and watch more tennis I've ever watched. I've, I don't think I've ever sat, you know, at the rest stadium and watched the tennis match before. And I was able to do that for most of the U.S. Open. It was great. Um, even the Western Southern Open, we used Grandstand as our primary stadium court. We were kind of joking, like, geez, some of these players have probably never played out on Grandstand. You know, we're, we're taking Serena out there. And it's like, well, would Serena have ever played on this court? I don't, I don't think she would have. Novak, I don't think he would have been out here. So uh, I think it was cool for them to see the grounds in a way they haven't seen, just to be able to walk out to practice courts and see some of those different courts. I mean, it was a very unique experience. Again, I don't think anybody wants to go back to it, but I think everybody was very relieved and thankful for how it was set up and we we're able to get the tournaments going and, and get play back happening. Yeah. And you, you know, we talk about the bubble with Cincinnati and U S open playing in, in New York in the beginning of 2021 Del Rey, who which usually is in February gets moved up, you know, the basically the first tournament, <laughs> first tournament of the year. Um, I talked to Mark Barron about that. And I was thinking, you know, why didn't maybe 
you do Miami and Delray or Delray and Miami, whichever order back to back, right? Have that bubble. Um, I talked to Mark about that and he said that was brought up. It's just, if you were to do that, he said, you know, personally, Delray would be competing with other tournaments, one. And two, when they did it the first tournament of the year, his was the only show in town, basically. Um, so there were a few reasons with timing, obviously being the most important, but um, the bubble worked and uh, we'll see. I mean, Delray, again, you had small media um, presence. You had a lot of virtual um, media presence. Thank you for that. I participated in that. So thank you for that. But no, you, I mean, very small. I mean, Blair, Blair Henley, who does an amazing job in all her events, she was there on person, uh, in person. You have Delray. Um, you have Australia. We saw your office uh, at home. We had a, a reverse, uh, I guess, re- reverse work schedule, school schedule between you and the, and the family. What was that like? I mean, you were pulling the ESPN Bristol hours basically from your house while your wife and daughter are <laughs> doing normal U.S. hour things. Well, thankfully, I have an office that's not in the house. So I was able to go uh, and, and not disrupt them while I was working all night and they were able to get good sleep. Um, it was, oh, okay. It was, I thought that picture was, was in your house. That was outside. No, that's, that is, that is a, an office that I rent here. Um, actually my landlord is Mal Washington, uh, in that oh, office. Wow. So, um, and we're, we're in an office park and next to me is a dentist's office. And there were a couple mornings when the patients were arriving for their appointments and we were still playing. And I was like, it's getting kind of late if they're coming in because they they open at 8 a.m and i'm like oh we're, we're playing past midnight now um so it was it was a challenge i mean it took a, a lot to kind of shift my schedule to do that and stay up all night and um as someone on twitter when i, I posted that photo someone uh rightfully in the comments you know kind of i think playfully but took a little bit of a jab of like Hey, you're like doing this for work. We do this all the time just because we're fans and we still have to go work our regular jobs during the day. So, um, yeah, fair point. Uh, it, it was hard. It was very hard. It's different to, to cover things remotely. And, um, I stole a TV from the house to add a monitor. And I, yeah. you know, I, I think I had six different screens going and, um, still was like, Oh, I can't see this thing that I want to see. But, uh, again, to the tournament staff, I mean, Tennis Australia did a tremendous job of making a lot of assets available to us to um, help us cover as best we could remotely. And they had uh, a lot of forethought, you know, and, and um, you know, Darren Pierce and Prue Ryan and Emma, um, they're great. And the nice thing about tennis, I mean, we talked about tennis earlier, there is so much helping each other out you know it's not everybody's out to get each other they, they talked to chris Woodmeyer and gene daly and brandon mcintyre at the usta they talked to me about what worked well with cincy um i've been talking to sam henderson quite a bit as he's getting ready for miami you know there's a lot of information sharing that happens because this is different and it, I, I felt like the Australian Open stuff worked better than the U.S. Open stuff. And the U.S. Open stuff worked a little bit better than the Western Southern Open. Right. You know, everybody's Just kind learned. of building on these exactly. learnings. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I felt like Delray was better than what I had done in Cincinnati. So you kind of figure things out as you go and, and t- make the little tweaks. But um, it was a challenging couple of weeks. And uh, the nice thing was that little window after school before play began, I, I usually had a couple hours where I could see the family, check in, uh, and then get get back to work. So 
it was a it was a tough couple of weeks. I'd much rather have been in Australia, but I was also thankful that I was not in Bristol, Connecticut, because they I think they got like 18 inches of snow over the course of the two weeks. So uh, it was it was nice to avoid that. As much yeah. as my Wisconsin roots would have enjoyed it, I'm I'm good with not having to deal with it all the time. <laughs> I don't blame you. Not I don't blame you at all. Unfortunately, um, for the second year in a row, Indian Wells was postponed. They still haven't canceled it yet, so um, it's postponed right now. Hopefully, they can do that later in the year. Miami's coming up uh, again. It's just going to be different. Uh, there are going to be some f- fans there. Uh, the prize money is way down. Any any thoughts on on what's coming up in Miami? Listen, kudos to them again. Everybody figuring out how to make this stuff happen. Um, you know, a tough decision there without, with not building out that stadium court, but I think it makes sense. Um, Cause that's the way they build out that court. I mean, it's amazing. And, and if you get the chance at 22 to get down there and see the way they configure that stadium within the football stadium, it's pretty incredible to see. And they did a great job in 2019 and hopefully they can do that again. Um, every, again, everything's different, you know, and, and nobody, very few people would have played Miami having, come there from Europe and that's where or the Middle East, which is where a lot of these players are going to be coming from. Obviously some will be coming from, uh, you know, North America playing in Mexico right now, but just different things. You know, you're not, um, you're not used to this. Nothing's normal. Um, you're not used to necessarily, you're used to playing some of these events after the Australian open, but even little things like, you know, the, the temperature in Australia was different because it was a month later and it got darker earlier and the shadows in the court were a little bit different. All these subtle little things, you know, you just got to adjust to. And I'm sure as, as people have been playing the clay court swing now in March instead of February down in South America, things are probably a little bit different. Um, so it, I think Miami, it's great that it's going to happen. Um, you know, it's, it's crowds will be there, which is fantastic that, that there will be some atmosphere it's not going to be full. Hopefully we get back to some full crowds soon. Um, it's a good opportunity for players. I mean, I think the, the outsider's perspective right now is just trying to wrap their head around what's going on with the rankings um, and, and how will that all play out in the end. And, and I think time will tell. And it's hard to necessarily read a lot into some of those rankings right now. Um, but I think there are some players who certainly view it as an opportunity getting into a few more tournaments than they might have otherwise, um, or flying under the radar of not having the pressure to defend like they would. Uh, it, it's again, everybody has to adapt to all these different circumstances. So it, it'll be good to see Miami happen. And, um, I can tell you the, the weather in Florida has been great so far in March. So again, knock on wood, hopefully that holds up and, um, the nice thing now is we're starting to see players get out and play week in and week out. They're getting some matches, you know, so these men and women are starting to get some miles and and start to get into that rhythm of play. And I think that's real important for them. And Indian Wells, it's unfortunate that they weren't able to go, obviously the men's clay court championship in Houston. Um, You know, it's a great event. And as I said, it's a tough call for these tournament directors when they have to, make the decision. So um, hopefully though, we've demonstrated that we can safely do these tournaments. And now it's a matter of working with all the local jurisdictions and hopefully building out a nice little calendar and players do get that rhythm going that we're used to seeing them performing. 
A hundred percent. No, thank you so much for, for sharing all that. Um, thank you for taking time doing this with me. I, I think um, what I'll say is stay nimble. If you use a pen, I think you probably should switch to pencil because things are changing week to week. Um, I also want to give a shout out to your podcast called Credentials Only, and um, I'll kind of let you talk about what that's all about. Yeah, this was a, uh, a pandemic podcast, I think one of many, uh, that you know, I knew I wasn't going to be traveling as aggressively last year. So uh, last April, I started a podcast profiling people who work in sports. Uh, one of my uh, favorite journalists is a guy, Dick Schapp. Um, and legend. He, legend. Legend. Absolutely. And one of his phrases um, in the intro to one of his books was that he's a collector of people. And I just, that phrase has always stuck with me. And I find that in sports, there's so much that goes on. And, and we talked a little bit about it earlier, the tour staff and the tournament staff, all the things they're having to deal with right now to make these games happen. Um, they're unheralded most of the time. And that said, there are a lot of people who want to get into the sports industry. Almost every school now offers a sport management program. And so trying to profile, what are all these unique, different jobs within sports and how do people get them? And then what are some lessons that they could get? So I've tried to find people from a wide variety of sports and a wide variety of roles and let them tell their story, find out some of what's unique about what they do, but also how did they get into those roles? And so been a lot of fun, I think for your listeners, you know, because my Rolodex uh, has a lot of tennis people in it, there have been a lot of tennis themed guests. Uh, you mentioned Blair Henley. Nick McCarvel, I uh, just released one with Kelly Wolf, who's an agent with Octagon. Uh, one, the first one I did was actually the Men's Clay Court Championship Tournament Director, Bronwyn Greer. So there's, there's a healthy diet of tennis out there. Uh, if, if you are so inclined and want to check it out, I certainly would appreciate the listen and definitely appreciate you letting me talk about it for a minute here on your pod. Oh, yeah, no, without a doubt. And for you avid book readers, uh, get, get, get a list ready to go because Pete always asks his guests what are some of their favorite books. So um, I know I've listened to a bunch of the credentials only episodes. I have my list of books. So go check those out. And, and Pete, Pete does such a great job and he, he brings on such great guests. So with that, I know you're busy. Best of luck going forward, navigating through this. We're, we're, we're closer to the end, man. We, we really are. We're getting there. And we're going to get through this. And, and thanks so much again for hopping back on. David, thanks so much for having me. And thanks to all your listeners for continuing to support tennis, even through that little pause in our action last year. It's, it's great to see not only the players back out playing, but starting to see the fans come back and to still see that activity, you know, social media in particular, of fans tuned in and watching and enjoying these great athletes playing the game we love. I appreciate it. Best of luck.